Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here for another week. Another week of uh, college baseball. It's fun most of the time. It hadn't been as fun this year or last year for that matter. The sad part about this year compared to last year is it felt like, you know, hey, we were still chasing some things middle part of the season. And I'll be honest with you right now, I think you know, at this point it's it's best not to expect in, Miss MSU to make an NCAA regional. I think the best we can hope for at this point is to make Hoover. That's it. And it sucks to feel that way this early in the SEC schedule, but uh, with a 1-8 and eight record, it's going to be difficult. It really is. You know, you'd hope to be somewhere around 500, and you know, we still got LSU to play and Arkansas to play and Ole Miss to play. There are some teams out there that are similarly situated as us. Maybe perhaps we can take the, a series or two, but, uh, you know, State haven't been able to do that against SEC play. So there really isn't a lot of evidence at this point that uh, suggests that there will be a turnaround. We just have to continue to hope that they can uh, find the pieces and uh, mix and match some things back and forth. And, um, you know, starting to get some guys back, starting to get some resolution on others. And, of course, uh, breaking news today is that Pico Cohn is done for the year without ever pitching a pitch in a game this year. And uh, that's very unfortunate. He was a guy we were hoping to be, you know, a guy that would challenge for a starting spot or potentially be a long reliever, <clears throat> much like he was last year. But we're not going to have his services. We wish him and his family the absolute best as he continues to move forward into rehabilitation. Uh, I will read you his statement here in case uh, you have missed it. Very, very unfortunate. And, um, you know, we, we kept wondering, you know, kind of where things were, and they kept things very, very private. And so Pico uh, shares earlier today to my Mississippi State family, unfortunately I will undergo surgery on a torn UCL and miss the remainder of the 2023 season. Well, this is not how I expected my sophomore season to go. I trust in God's plan for me. I know that I'm surrounded by the best staff in college baseball that will help me do what is necessary to get back on the field wearing the maroon and white. Until then, I will continue to be my teammates' biggest supporter on and off the field. End quote. Very difficult situation. And not just for Mississippi State baseball, but for a young man that has a very bright future. So we hope that uh, he's able to recover sooner rather than later. Obviously, it won't be this year. But uh, he has not pitched this year, so hopefully they can have him ready to go uh, next year. You know, we know we've seen with uh, Brooks Auger and with Stone Simmons, you know, their UCL recovery has taken a little bit longer. Uh, spoke to Stone Simmons recently, very, very frustrated for him. You know, he had a very exhaustive surgery and rehabilitation process. So he's not going to be back until next year. And uh, we certainly could have used him. This weekend, I submit to you, if we'd have had uh, Brooks and or Stone this past weekend, we take a series against uh, number nine, South Carolina. We didn't, though. We didn't have them. And that's the thing. It's not about who you have, who you don't have. It's about who you have. It's not about what could have been. It's about what is. 
and things are not great right now. I'm not going to sit here and have a pity party. You know, we're going to recap the weekend. We'll preview the weekend that is the week is to come. But I will tell you, I feel optimistic about the week. And uh, I know there are many of you that don't. And that's okay to share that opinion. You know, I, I can't argue against it. Uh, I know that Alabama went to Arkansas, had a uh, you know, very competitive weekend against the Razorbacks. We got to go to their place. Uh, I do feel like we figured some things out this week. But, um, you know, the, the hard part about it is, is that by the time we figure it out, I think it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I have loved them perhaps longer than they've loved me. Uh, but I'm excited to have them as a sponsor, excited to think about what is uh, next for Bulldog Burger Company. So many great options there nowadays. So exciting to think about all the cool things that are happening there. You know, a new menu rollout that's come out. You guys need to make sure you go by and check out those new things. Uh, I'm going to go by and have that um, pulled pork grilled cheese sandwich. I'm a big proponent of that. I'm a pulled pork fan. I'm a grilled cheese fan. What could be better than having a pulled pork grilled cheese sandwich? Be sure and go check it out. I'll get it without the red onions, though. You can have my onions and your onions and uh, feel good about life. I don't know if I've shared with you guys before. Not a big fan of onions. But I do like onion rings. It's just kind of weird. I'm an anomaly wrapped inside a, r- a riddle. Now, I want to tell you guys, too, you're going to have an opportunity, of course, to see some live music uh, at Tupelo. And go by and check that out. It, here's the thing, too. I went and saw some live music over the weekend. And uh, it was a decent crowd. Not a great crowd, but a decent crowd. But if you, if you enjoy live music, get out and go support it. Your friends Hanny and Carly will be at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo. Cat Hat Vodka is the sponsor for the event. That's going to be April the 7th. That's coming up this week from 6 to 9 p.m. Go by and support those young ladies. Have a great meal. Get a great restaurant-quality hamburger. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. And enjoy a nice, relaxing night of live music. Going to have more events there at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo for live music. Be sure and go check them out. That's April 7th. Six to nine, and this month is April. It's April 3rd today. Three good locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's look at these ball games. It was, uh, we, you know, we, dis- we discussed Thursday's game on Friday's show, a game that we feel like we should have won, and uh, couldn't get it done. And so... We were all downtrodden. We all felt, you know what, hey, maybe we figured some things out. Even in a loss here, we felt like we took a step. We still hadn't won an SEC game, though. Well, Friday, we take care of that and then some. We finally get an SEC win in a game that really was not competitive uh, through the middle innings on. It's a 10-run rules, South Carolina. But it didn't get off to a great start. You know, we didn't know for sure who was going to be the starter. We thought it may be Bradley Lofton. Got a report uh, Thursday night. He was having some arm soreness and said we're going to rest him. He might pitch in relief at best, but we just weren't sure what to expect. And then Landon Gartman gets a start and had perhaps his best outing in a Bulldog uniform on Friday. But first pitch of the game, it didn't look good. Wimber, the shortstop from South Carolina, takes the first pitch over the right field wall. It's one nothing South Carolina. Then uh, Cassis gets a single to right. Petrie's didn't hit by the pitch. You think, you know what, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. It's one nothing. probably fixing to give up a crooked number here in the first inning. But we don't. We don't. 
Messina lines out to second. We get a double play. As uh, not exactly sure where Petrie was going on the play. A ball hit to right field. I didn't know if we were going to have – I was leaving the field and the play still going on, and we uh, eventually doubled Petrie off at the plate at, the, at first. So it's a one at them ball game. A base running blunder there for South Carolina allows us to get out of the inning without any further damage. Our bottom of one state gets even here. Kellum Clark grounds out the second. Amani Larry then rips a single to right field and then is caught stealing at second. So it's a two-out situation already. And then Ledbetter follows with a single to center. Hines singles to left. Ledbetter comes around to third. And then Dakota Jordan, who had a great week last week. If I remember correctly, he was 10 of 15 on the week. That'll get it done. That's a guy that was in a starting lineup kind of in and out for a while, then he wasn't. He comes back this past week, has his best week in the uniform. And here's DJ coming through with an RBI single through the left side, makes it a 1-1 ball game. Hancock then flies out to left center, but now we're even. And then Gart settles down. He strikes out the side in a second. He gets Denny LaCroix and Brewer, and that's your 7-8-9 hitters right there, maybe 6-7-8 and eight hitters because I know that they flipped Brewer and Stone after game one. Uh, Brewer's the guy that entered the weekend hitting the buck 76, had a good weekend for himself. But it's 1-1, headed to the bottom of the second. Heifel grounds out the short, offered in singles back up the middle. And then Forsyth pops up to the first baseman. Clark strikes out swinging. Slate offered, pretty good week for himself. Top of third, Gart's dealing again. We get a fly out to right. Wimmer grounds out to second. And then Cassis flies out to left. Bottom of third, and this is where State begins to pull away and get some separation. Larry grounds out to the third basin, and then Ledbetter walks. Hunter Hines then hits one down the right field line into the Atkerson Plaza, makes it a 3-1 ball game. Back-to-back, Dakota Jordan, 487 feet off the lofts in left field. It's 4-1, and we are all over, all over South Carolina's ace, Noah Hall, who was undefeated entering that ball game. We had a good game plan. Throughout the weekend, put up 41 hits, and uh, none better than than perhaps the one Dakota Jordan hit. Hancock then doubles off the wall in right center. Thought that ball might sneak out too. The bullpen really got up in earnest then. They had some guys kind of lightly throwing out there, but after back-to-back jacks and then Hancock turns on one, they really start throwing and stalling on the mound. Heifel strikes out swinging, and then Slate Offered singles through the left side, drives in a run. It's a 5-1 ball game. They go out and get lift Hall. So his shortest inning of the year, he had thrown 38 in a third innings pitch, entering the ball game against Mississippi State. Uh, one of the best in the conference to date as far as innings pitch per nine innings. And then Proctor comes in and gets foresight to strike out swinging. But four across the plate for State in the third. It is now a 5-1 ball game. And we always talk about this. After we score and put up a crooked number, we've got to go get a clean inning. That's exactly what Landon Gartman does for us. Petrie strikes out looking, lengthy at bat there. Messina then lines out to right, and Braswell grounds out to short. So a 1-2-3 inning, and at this point, he had retired nine in a row. I guess that's not actually technically correct. Yeah, 10 in a row, I guess we could say there. 10 in a row. All right, bottom of four, Kellum Clark doubles down the left field line. You see the Bulldogs starting to work the other way a little bit more this year. Larry gets down a sack bunt, pushes Clark to third. We're playing for one here, trying to milk the lead a little bit. They bring in Williamson for Proctor, and then he walks Ledbetter. That that just drives coaches crazy. And it doesn't just happen to us. It happens to us more frequently than we'd like. 
but you're just more acutely aware of it because it happens to you. But you bring in a new pitcher, and the very first thing he does is walk the first guy he faces. It just can't happen. And then Hines singles through the right side. Clark scores on the play. We now get runners at first and second. And then we have a check swing situation here. You have a check swing on Dakota Jordan with no count. And South Carolina's coach wants to argue a check swing that's not real. Basically, they're getting raked right here. I think he had seen enough. And so you end up walking DJ on four pitches. And then we've got a chance to even have an, an even bigger inning here. Base is loaded, one out. We don't capitalize. And you say, Steve, you know, it's a 13-3 ball game. Yeah, it, you're right. But you got to take advantage of these opportunities. And considering there are bullpen issues, no lead is safe. Hancock fouls out to the catcher. Highfield grounds out to first base. And uh, our Hancock fouls out. You popped up behind the plate on a 2-0 count. All right, but it's a 6-1 ball game. You're thinking, we're cruising here. We get back-to-back flyouts in Denny and LaCroix. So it's 13 consecutive set down. 12 or 13, I can't recall. And then Brewer singles to right field. That breaks it up. Goes to second on a pass ball. Stone then singles to center. A run scores. And then Wimmer doubles to right center to drive in the run, making a 6-3 ball game. Cassis lines out. All this happens while two are out. That's why there's 27 outs you got to get. <laughs> you got to get 27 outs in ball game, most ball games. This one we didn't. But, again, a two-out rally here for South Carolina. And from the bottom of the order, that's 8-9-1, putting that together for you. All right, bottom of five. And at this point, we thought, hey, we're back in a ball game. 6-1, we're all kind of stretching our legs a little bit and kind of relaxing a little bit. At 6-3, you're thinking, we got to keep scoring. Well, we do. Slate Offord comes out, hits a solo home run down the right field line to make it a 7-3 ball game. The fourth home run, excuse me, third home run of the ball game at that point. And you feel like, hey, State had to get some sense of an answer there. So even if it's all we got, we probably would have been okay. Forsyth then flies out to center field, out more towards right center. They bring in uh, Phipps for Williamson. Clark gets on, the th- on base due to a throwing error. And then Imani Larry's, Larry singles to center field. Now it's runs to first and second. Ladbetter gets on the fielder's choice. Now you got runners on the corners. Two outs in the inning. You need something big to happen here. One out in the inning, excuse me. And Hines just hits an absolute rope to second. The guy has to make a sliding stop here. I guess some people would say you could have called an error here. I would not. It was uh, not a routine play. But it was just too hot to handle it. Raswell did the best he could. I mean, to be honest with you, a second baseman – with a little bit less athleticism, that ball is rolling free in the outfield. But uh, Hines puts a charge in it, run scores, it's 8-3. And then they walk D.J. Jordan with the bases loaded. Now it's a 9-3 ball game. Hancock comes up with an RBI sack fly, and that's the thing. You go back to the previous at-bat, you'd love to be able to do that then. But now it's a 10-3 ball game, and Highfield strikes out swinging. Ross has really struggled with the plate as of late, getting better defensively. But uh, against SEC pitching, he's really struggled here as of late. But it's now 10 to 3. And when I start thinking, are, are we going to 10 run rule these guys? Can we? Yeah, we can. All right, top of six, you bring in Cade Smith, the long awaited return of Cade Smith. And we're going to talk about this much later in the show, how significant this is for Mississippi State. You get a line out to second, a fly out to right, and then another fly out to right. So a 1 2 3 inning for Cade, who looked really good. He, he got up 95 96 on the gun. Bottom of six, they bring in Wheeler for Phipps. And then Slate offered homers again. Now it's 11-3. Now we're just kind of counting it down. Can we get a couple more runs here and get this ball game over in the seventh? 
Forsyth grounds out to third. Clark then singles to right. Larry doubles to left. Clark comes in and scores. And now you're thinking it's not just a possibility, it's a probability at 12-3 uh, with just one out, the runner in scoring position. You think, hey, we got to find a way to get him home. Ledbetter then grounds out to third on a 2-0 count. They walk Hines, and then it's that guy again. It's Dakota Jordan singling down the line and uh, an error on the pitcher. Kind of a crazy thing here. This is like a little number that gets out there, and the pitcher goes and tries to get it. I don't know that Dakota wouldn't have beat it anyway, but he ends up flipping it up, and then, uh, you know, so the run scores on the play just because the ball is rolling loose there because you got to account for the base, right? Because uh, you weren't, Larry was not going to score on the little number from second, but because of the fact the ball rolls loose, so you have the hit from Jordan – and then, because of the flub, Larry's able to advance. There's a hit and an error on the play here. That was properly scored. Hancock is then hit by the pitch, and then Heifel strikes out swinging. Base is loaded there. I mean, even though it's a 13-3 ball game, you want to see a quality of bat. <clears throat> Ross did work deep into the count here and strikes out swinging. He's just having a tough time recognizing spin. And I'll be honest with you, if I'm his hitting coach here, I'm going to tell him, you know, Ross, if he throws your breaking ball for a strike, he got you. But we're going to sit dead red here. Anything that's not a fastball, I want you to take it. Because at this point, Wheeler was struggling to throw the breaking ball for a strike. And you go back and look. I mean, you know, he gives up a couple of shots here. And he walks Hines and then uh, hits Hancock with the pitch. And this is a guy that's struggling to throw strikes. And then even gets into a uh, full count here with Ross. That would have been my approach. And I'm not exactly sure what Jay called, told him. I'm not being critical. But I, that's what I would tell a young hitter. Let, let's simplify the process a little bit here. Hey, it's a 13-3 ball game. I'm not worried about the score. I'm not worried about the run. I'm worried about the at-bat. So you sit fastball. And if he throws Uncle Charlie and he gets you, he gets you. But don't swing at the breaking ball. You got to simplify things. Because that guy's going to throw you something in his own, right? I mean, with, with the, you know, it's 13-3. It's a full count. This guy's trying to win a job. He's trying to make a competitive pitch. Bases are loaded. He certainly don't want to give you something out of the zone that you may lay off of. So I think you can be a little more aggressive in your pitch selection there. But nevertheless, uh, Ross strikes out swinging. All right, top of seven. And this ends up being the end of the ball game. Smith rolls right back out there. We get a strikeout look and a ground out to the pitcher. And the people are on their feet. We end up walking Brewer, the eight-hole hitter. And then he goes a second on a wild pitch. And I turn to Mike Nemeth and I'm like, as much as I love college baseball, I don't want to play any more baseball tonight. And sure enough, he gets uh, stoned to strike out looking. And a uh, great pitch by the kid here. Full count, and he gets the, the backwards K. Similar to what we were just talking about, right? We're just going to sit dead red fastball, and if he can throw the breaking ball for a strike, then he gets us, and he does. So 13-3 is your final. Mississippi State snaps an 18-game SEC losing streak. I'm glad we don't have to talk about that anymore because it's so embarrassing the fact that Mississippi State baseball is associated with such a streak of futility. But looking at how the numbers, really the story, you know, pitching-wise, was Landon Garbman. Five innings pitched, and listen, we pulled him when we needed to. We did, and I tweeted that out. You know, there was some loud outs in his final inning, and so it was clear they were kind of on him a little bit. They were kind of figuring some things out. He only threw 82 pitches. I'm sure he had a little more left in the tank, which will save some wear and tear perhaps for him on this week. But five hits, three runs, three errors, and uh, really not a lot of drama with him 
outside of his first inning and his last inning. Did really good in that middle stretch there. Of course, uh, striking out a dozen, or excuse me, retiring a dozen or so in a row. And then Cade Smith, uh, two innings of hitless relief, did not allow a run. The only base runner was a walk with two outs. And so good to see him back. Is he ready to go back to the weekend? I don't know, but I think we need him. We absolutely do. All right, Caleb Clark goes two for five on the night, scores three runs in, in your leadoff spot. Amani Larry's three for four, also scores a couple runs, drives in another. Colton Ledbetter, one for three, scored three runs himself, also had a couple walks. Hunter Hines, a four for four night with four ribeye stakes. Dakota Jordan, three for three on the night with three RBI and a run scored. Luke Hancock, one for three to run scored. Ross Highfield, 0 for five. Slate offered four for four. He was our uh, offensive player in, uh, in our media press conference and uh, really happy for Slate. Happy for Mississippi State, too. 0 for 4 for Landon, excuse me, Lane Forsythe. So, uh, 18 hits on the night, and two of your Bulldogs go over. You know, so seven guys manage seven hits, or 18 hits. And then you start looking at guys like, uh, you know, Slate Offord and Dakota Jordan. Uh, those are guys that were in a starting lineup in week one and then kind of worked their way out of the lineup. Getting those guys back and getting them going is huge uh, for the Bulldogs. Of course, four home runs on the night. Hunter Hines with one, Dakota Jordan with one. And Floyd offered with two. And so you feel like, hey, there's power in and up the lineup, up and down the order. And so we go out there and play as well as we can. And we win a ball game 13 to 3. South Carolina, three errors, two errors in one inning. And uh, this kind of imploded there. But let's be honest, that did not give Mississippi State the game. Mississippi State was in control of the ball game uh, when that happened. Landon Gartman earns the win. Not a save opportunity. And uh, Jeffrey Macias is a guy at times that has been uh, much maligned in our conference. He always seems that controversy times follows him. He was involved with the Tony Vitello deal last year where Tony bumped into him. Not Jeffrey's fault. I thought Jeffrey Macias gave us probably the best zone we've had of the year because the low strike was called on both teams. And, and that's all you can ask for is consistency. Consistency at the plate for both teams. If it's a strike in the home half, it's got to be a strike in the top half. And it was. Thought we got a good zone, and as a result, we took full advantage. And, again, it's still this evolution with the pitching clock and track man. There's a lot that's going on here that I think is is uh, impacting pitching nationally, not just in Mississippi State. Our issue is we're struggling to throw strikes. I'm not trying to excuse our pitching. But offense is up around the country. And I think all of that is really a byproduct of the fact that the pitch clock – makes pitchers a little more predictable about when and how they're going to deliver. But also, too, the fact that this TrackMan software is out there, now guys are being evaluated on balls and strikes and not just their understanding of the enforcement of the rules. And so you're having to go at hitters more. You're having to attack hitters. And these are big-time hitters. So numbers are up. All right, so we win that game. We're thinking, hey, we can take the series because we felt like we should have won the game Thursday night. We win the game Friday. You're thinking, hey, we're a pitch away from having an SEC series dub, we come out with Nate on the mound. And, and I, one of the things that I worried about with Nate is he's so reliant on a fastball. This is a launch angle fastball hunting team. So I wondered a little bit about the matchup. And then early on, that's exactly what it looked like. Back-to-back home runs to start the game. Wimmer, for the second straight day, hits the first pitch over the right field wall for a home run. We get ahead of Cassis, 1-2, and then he hits a home run. Now it's 2 nothing, And you're beginning to wonder, do we party too much? 
Well, we get Petrie to strike out swinging, Messina strikes out swinging, LaCroix singles through the left side, then he walks, and then Braswell flies out to left. And while they had two runs in, they had some other traffic on the bases, so not a great first inning for Nate, but he did settle in. Bottom of one, State gets a ground out from Clark, a ground out from Larry, and then um, <clears throat> there was a very physical tag at first. I know many of you kind of reacted. I did not see anything wrong with the play. He did extend the glove. I didn't think there was anything malicious. I think you got a big player there uh, trying to make a play. Uh, so they do review it, and we lost the challenge. Led better than grounds out short. All right, top of the second. First pitch, Brewer hits a home run. It felt like Arkansas in 2021, didn't it? It's like they're just on us. Then Stone singles to left. Wimmer singles to the left side. You think, you know what? It's just not Nate's day. Well, Cassis strikes out looking. However, initially they ruled it a hit by pitch. We challenge it. And for the second straight day, Cassis is called out on an 0-2 count for trying to chicken wing a ball. Petrie strikes out swinging, and Messina grounds out to third. And from here, Nate was outstanding. Bottom of second, State trying to climb back in it. We go one, two, three in the inning. Hines strikes out. Jordan grounds out to short. Hancock then strikes out looking. And uh, give Mahoney some credit. This is a guy that did a really good job of getting sink. He throws a, a, a true sinker. And so we're beating the ball in the ground here. And so you have to respect the sinker. And at times, he can sneak that fastball by you. But we go one, two, three. But it's a three anthem ball game. And then Nate... Great inning here in the third. Strikes out the side. You get LaCroix, Denny, and Braswell all to strike out here. And you feel pretty good about that. Bottom of third, State goes one, two, three again. Ground out to third, ground out to short, and then Highfield strikes out looking. And Highfield was hitting ninth in the order. So you're going to flip the order here. Nate comes back and says, I'm going to hold the game in play. We get Brewer to fly out to right. Stone grounds out to second. Wimmer strikes out swinging. Bottom of four, State gets your first hit. Kellum Clark singles to the right side as your leadoff hitter. Larry flies out the short. Ledbetter fouled out to the third baseman. If the wind hadn't been blowing the way that it was, it probably gets out of play. Uh, Hines grounds out the short. So while we've broken up the no-hitter, we got nothing to show for it. And Nate's like, don't worry, guys. I'm going to keep grinding. Uh, Cassis singles to the left side, and then we roll up a ground ball, a double play ball here. We get out of that, and then Messina strikes out swinging to the joy of the duty noble field crowd. All right, State has a scoring inning here in the bottom of five. It could have been and probably should have been a bigger inning. Jordan singles through the left side to get it going. Hancock then singles, and now you've got runners at first and second. We go ahead and let Slate swing away here, and uh, he grounds into a double play. I don't know that Slate Alford's ever been asked to get a bunt down in his life. But nevertheless, uh, they tried to uh, suggest that we ran into their first baseman deliberately. There's a lot of pettiness with South Carolina. That's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. I didn't even think he touched him. They review it, no malicious contact, probably the shortest review in the history of college baseball in its short life. Well, then Lane Forsythe doubles to left field, and Jordan scores. The state is now on the board 3-1. And a big hit for Lane there, who didn't have a great weekend at the plate, did play pretty well defensively, didn't have a great weekend at the plate. Highfield and grounds out the short. But the 3-1 ball game, you're thinking, hey, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. LaCroix then flies out. Pops up to short right field, and uh, Larry runs it down. Denny grounds out to short, so we're just kind of running along here. And then Brazel singles back up the middle. We elect to go uh, get Nate here on a 2-0 count. We end up walking. Tapper comes in. We end up walking uh, Brewer. And then um, 
Casey Hunt comes in and strikes out Evan Stone on three pitches. And so while there was traffic on the bases, we navigate that without them expanding the lead. Bottom of six, state's best offensive inning of the ballgame. Callum Clark, your new leadoff hitter, singles. Larry then uh, reaches on an error. Clark goes to second. Ledbetter walks to load the bases. They bring in Chris Veach here, and he did a really good job against us on Thursday, but you could tell the Bulldogs might have been ready for him here. Hunter Hines grounds into a double play on a 1-1 count. The run scores. It's a 3-2 ball game. And you're thinking, okay, we're okay, we're okay. We're within, we're within a run now. And Dakota Jordan comes up, gets in a 2-0 count, tells us in post game he's sitting soft here. He goes, you know, I'm on the fastball right now. Nobody's going to give me a fastball. Veach's signature pitch is the changeup. And so if we're not looking fastball, you start thinking, you know what, this changeup won't be very effective. Well, instead of throwing a change, he throws a slider out and away. And rather than try to pull that baseball, Dakota Jordan, as strong as he is, goes with it and pokes it over the right field wall for a go-ahead home run, 4-3, mature hitting approach there. Dakota Jordan is going to be a star at Mississippi State. Hancock then lines out the right field, but Bulldogs had the lead. At this point, Casey Hunt is your pitcher of record. And while Nate did not... Uh, factor in the decision they gave you a quality start and even though you you give up three solo home runs you don't mitigate that uh, or aggravate that excuse me by adding to it by walking people you give up a couple bombs here and there three solo home runs rarely going to get you beat it's when you give up the three-run shot and then the two-run shot and then the three-run shot that gets you beat so we didn't again Nate's only walked eight all year all right top of seven here South Carolina ties the ball game, and again, we talk about it all the time, when you go out there and you hang up a crooked number, you need to get a clean inning. Well, we don't. Very first thing that Casey does is we walk Wimmer, the leadoff hitter. So now all of a sudden, two, three, four should have a chance to hit with a, a pitcher in the stretch. Casey battles. We get uh, Cassis to strike out swinging. Petrie then singles through the left side, puts runners at the corners, and here, you know, with Messina coming up, you said, you know what, hey, at the very least, he'll get an RBI sack fly and tie this ball game. Instead, he singles. The run scores. Then we walk LaCroix to load the bases. And now you're just hoping to get out of here in a tie ball game. Denny then pops up to the catcher. So you have a non-productive out, which puts you in a good position. And KC gets Braswell to strike out swinging. And so, not a great inning for KC. It wasn't. And I, again, I think KC is probably best in two inning stance. This is really his first inning here uh, facing the heart of the order. We didn't do well, but we did navigate through it with only giving up the one run. So here we are, bottom of seven. You know, you only got six more outs to get if you can push a run across here and you won a series. And that's why I say that, you know, the final score of this game is not indicative of how competitive it truly was. Offered lines out to the first baseman, an absolute laser and great play by Cassis there. They bring in Hicks, who actually won two games on the weekend. Uh, Forsyth grounds out to the first baseman. Heifel strikes out swinging. So nothing doing there for a 7-8-9 in a Bulldog order. All right, top of eight, Brewers hit by the pitch. Again, the things you can't do, right? I mean, I mean, leadoff hitters on constantly uh, for the bullpen. Stone then reaches on an error, and this is the thing that just absolutely drives you crazy. Aaron Nixon comes on. They're trying to give us an out. And I don't know, the throw was a little bit high, so I don't know if I charge the error to Amani or I charge it to Nixon, but everybody's got to execute better here. They're giving you an out, and you don't take it. You don't take it. 
and then next thing you know, the ball gets loose. So instead of having a runner at second, now you've got runners at second and third and nobody out where you would have had a free out. Then we hit Wimmer with the pitch. Insanity. Insanity here. So now the bases are loaded with nobody out. And so you just feel like they're going to score. You know, I mean, how rare is it to see that you know, where you battle back and there's a wild pitch or a sack fly or a double play ball, something. Instead, we get Cassis to strike out swinging, then Petrie doubles to left field and uh, three run score. And it's 7-4, and at this point, you think it's so late in the ballgame, it's going to be difficult to come back. Messina's in hit by the pitch. LaCroix strikes out swinging. We bring in Graham Antima, and he gets Denny to fly out at center field on the first pitch. So you're down three runs with six outs left to play with. Come Clark flies out to left. Then Imani Larry gets a double down the third baseline. She's thinking, okay, we got a little something going here. Let better grounds out the short. Larry goes to third. You want to get something going here. With Hunter Hines coming up, you're thinking one swing of the bat here. It's a one-run ball game again. Instead, he doubles to right field. Larry scores at 7-5. to five, And then DJ, as hot as he was, uh, strikes out swinging. You know, again, time to run at the plate here. At the eight, in the eighth inning, State is within two with the man on and the hottest hitter in the lineup at the plate. And you think, well, did State come back and win? No, we absolutely did not come back to win. And that's what makes this ninth inning so incredibly frustrating is that everybody else just kind of hung in there and played good defense as best they could with rare exception. And you grind these at-bats out and you're in a back-and-forth ball game and then the bullpen gives it away for you. That's what's so frustrating. Top of nine. Again, it's a 7-5 ball game when we start. And how do we do? We make an error. We throw the ball away. Then we walk a guy. And then we give up a bunt. And I think he's bunting for a hit there. You know, bases loaded, nobody out. And listen, give South Carolina some credit here for taking advantage of our miscues. But these are self-inflicted wounds. A throwing error, a walk, and a misplayed bunt. And I don't know even if you play your best bunt defense, you get them. But nevertheless, those two guys wouldn't have even been on if we go out there and execute at a high level. But because you do basically gift them these two base runners, well, now all of a sudden it makes sense to lay down a bunt here. And I'm a competitor. I'm not just going to sack here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to beat it out. They do. We bring in Parker Stinnett, who hadn't pitched since VMI weekend. He didn't get a single player out. Four consecutive hits. Wimmer singles to left. Two runs score. Cass is singles to the right side. Another run is on to make it 10-5. Petrie singles to the left side. Uh, another run scores 11-5. Messina doubles. Run scores 12-5. So we go get Evan Sierra, who, had, you know, again, the game is over at this point. It's done. It's done. Ineffective pitching from Eintema to open the inning, ineffective pitching from Stinnett to allow the ball game to basically be decided here. Uh, Sierra comes in, gets a ground out to third, the run scores 13-4. Then there's a double down the right field line. Messina scores, it's 14-5. Then we get Braswell to strike out swinging, Brewer walks, and then Stone strikes out swinging. So you're not a bad job for Sierra, but, you know, in that situation, you're just kind of mopping up and trying to get out of there. But it's just like you go back and look at this. I mean, it's like just a half inning before, we're within two thinking, hey, if we get a clean inning, you never know what's going to happen in the bottom of nine. You never know. But instead, we removed all doubt. Hancock singles to center field. Luke didn't quit. Alfred and strikes out swinging. We pinch hit Connor Isaac for lane, and he singles up the middle. So now all of a sudden, you got a couple runners on. And again, the context of the game changes because of the score, right? 
you don't know if you'd have seen the same pitching sequence. When you're up nine, nine runs, you're just pounding the zone and daring them to hit the baseball. You'd be a lot more particular about pitch location in a two-run ball game. So you don't really know. But to flash ahead here, I mean, hey, here we are with two runners on. We could have conceivably could have had the time runs on base, uh, you know, with a couple guys coming up here. Ross Heifel and strikes out looking, and then Kellum Clark grounds out second in the ball game. So we lose 14-5. And, again, that's the thing. You don't get any points. It's not a beauty contest. The score is the score. For eight innings, it was a game. You get in the ninth, and your bullpen absolutely implodes. And like all of you, it's infuriating. To me, it is. I can't stand it. All right, look at the numbers here. Uh, Nate goes five and two-thirds of an inning, allows eight hits. Most of those come in the first two innings. He settles down after that. Allowed the three runs. They all came in the first two innings. Nine Ks, two walks, uh, 86 pitches. Probably had a little bit left. Uh, Brock Tapper comes in. Uh, doesn't retire a hitter. Casey comes in. He's tagged with the loss. Goes one and a third, two hits, two runs. Both of them earned three Ks, two walks, and a hit by pitch. Three free passes in 34 pitches. Can't happen. Aaron Nixon comes in, and he's still not quite ready. We're, we're getting him there, but he's not quite ready. Uh, two-thirds of an inning allows one hit, two runs. One of them earned two strikeouts, no walks, two hit by pitches. And that's been the book on him since he's been back is the hit-by-pitch. And he'll get that work. I feel confident in that. Graham Itema, one-third of an inning, and that was to fly out when he first came in. Given a clean inning, he didn't get anybody out. One hit, three runs, two earned runs, one walk. Uh, you know, only faced four batters and threw 11 pitches. And even in that, it's a three-run deal. 11 pitches nets you three runs. Parker Sinnett doesn't get anybody out. Four hits, four runs, all of them earned. No strikeouts, no walks. Face four hitters, and all four of them score. Evan Sierra goes the ninth, allows one hit, no runs, one walk, two Ks. Now you start Again, you start looking at this. You know, and I know some guys are just getting back, and I know some guys are not 100%, and that's what the midweek games are for. But on the weekends, we've got to throw guys we can trust we got to throw guys we can trust. And not just because we like them, not just because they're good kids or we want it so bad for them. we got to do what's best for Mississippi State baseball. State throws 181 pitches on the day. Your friends at South Carolina just threw 108. So we throw, you know, 73 more pitches than they do. And that's what happens when you walk people. We had six walks but three hit by pitches, so nine free passes in the ballgame. We only walk one time. In the ball game, and that's what South Carolina does. Is they are strike throwers, and I, you know I don't worry about when I see those big strikeout numbers and the low walk numbers. Maybe I have a different interpretation of the numbers that many of you do. What that tells me is they're going to be around the plate. They're going to pitch to contact, and we've got to be able to go up there and kind of solve that. And when you see uh, those numbers, sometimes you think, "Oh my gosh, this guy's just a strikeout specialist. He's Nolan Ryan. He's Greg Maddox." No. It's your guys that are going to pound the zone. They're going to challenge you to hit the baseball. And as Mahoney did, Mahoney did a good job getting good sink, and we beat the ball on the ground. Nine ground outs for him in uh, 15 inning, fifteen outs recorded. And uh, three of those came via strikeouts. So only two flyouts. And so we finally got to him. You know, and I, I noticed the second time through the order, we were dipping a little bit more, trying to go down there and get it and pull it out of there. And we finally get to him. And uh, – 
And we chased him from the ball game. You know, we did. But not a good day, for sure. And uh, looking at the uh, – it was a good, good inning, good game for eight. Kellum Clark, two for five. Amani, one for four. Colton goes over three. Hunter Hines, one for four. Dakota, two for four. Uh, two runs scored and two ribbies. Luke Hancock, a two for four day. Slate Offer goes over. Lane Forsythe, one for three. Connor Isaac, one for one. And Ross goes over. Uh, so looking here, Dakota Jordan with the one home run. Amani, Larry, Hunter Hines, and Forsythe all with doubles. But 10 hits, so 40 hits for the Bulldogs on the weekend. Uh, 40 hits should usually win you a ball game, right? And we only won one. But you look at this, and it's like, you look at the final score, and again, I just think to myself, it's like, you know, what if we had anybody to go get those last six outs for us? It didn't have to be Landon Sims. Just give me somebody that's not going to go out there and walk the ballpark. Where would we, where would we be as a team? We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. All right, time for the top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler informed me over the weekend, we can now say top 1% close ratio in the country in three consecutive years. So he's still, he's still rolling, guys. He's still getting it done. Blair is my friend. Your friend he is a uh, friend in the mortgage industry. And that can be a very difficult undertaking for a lot of people. Can be. It was for me the first time. I don't like it now. I hope I never have to get a mortgage again. It's frustrating. I don't like dealing with the bank. Maybe you do. I don't. I love borrowing money. I hate paying it back, but I hate going through this process. It's so difficult at times to go through this. And it's like, you just, sometimes you just want to give up. It's like, oh, I don't want to do all this other stuff. I wish I had somebody to do it for me. That's what Blair does. Blair makes it easy for you. He'll tell you exactly what you need. He'll be your advocate with underwriting. Many of you have dreamed of owning a home someday, but you've had that dream elude you. Let Blair make that a reality for you. Visit him at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Or give him a call or text today. His personal number is 601-500-2344. Again, at 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pray for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Thanks, as always, to our friend Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. Okay, today's top 10 list. You know, the, uh, the Air movie comes out Wednesday. Wednesday. I started to go to the movies last night just to get out of the house a little bit and get away from all this for a bit. But uh, I decided not to. Just kind of hung in for a while. But um, definitely going to go see Air probably opening night. Probably need to go ahead and buy my tickets sooner rather than later. But that'll be Wednesday. It's going to be a busy week, man. We got baseball on Tuesday. We got the, the NAFL championship game tonight, right? San Diego State and UConn, for those that are interested. And then we have baseball at Duty Noble Field Tuesday. We have Wednesday night off, and it's baseball Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then we're uh, celebrating Easter, celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but anyway, so it's going to be a busy week. So... We're, again, in our anticipation of the Air movie, and again, Roy and I are both really excited about this, and uh, my sneakerhead son can't wait to go see the story of how the Jordans came to be. We're doing a series of shows. So, top 10 songs, the rap of 85. We hadn't done rap in a while. We hadn't. And I have some people that, you know, we have some uh, rap fans that listen to our show that say, hey, Steve, hey. How about a little rap? So we're going to go classic rap today, which is 85 when it was really kind of becoming a force in music. And there were a lot of people, too, 
that saw rap as a novelty said it would not last. And you look at what it is today, proves what all they know. So we're going to go back to some of the uh, the founders of Defunk. Number 10 on your list is Grandmaster Flash. Girls love the way he spins. And of course, uh, you know, you had the Furious Five and, you know, Mully Mel, all those guys. Uh, and Grandmaster Flash is a spinoff of that. But uh, back in those days, you know, we had actual MCs and DJs, not like it is today. Everybody today is just a rapper. Back in those days, people were MCs. Number nine, a guy that is a legend. It's Too Short, and it's the uh, second album from Too Short, going with the title track, Players. And this is one of those songs, too, that is very, very mid-'80s rap. Kind of a quintessential song. Not one of the biggest hits for Too Short, but a lot of the, the beats, a lot of the sounds, it's all very basic and very true to the time. And so if you really want to have an idea of what rap was really about back then, Grandmaster Flash and Too Short can tell you. Number eight, many of our listeners know him from his work on Law & Order SVU, and he is a fabulous actor. He was also Scotty Appleton in the great Wesley Snipes film, New Jack City. Couldn't wait to see that. And, of course, the original Gangster comes out uh, shortly thereafter. An amazing performer is Ice-T, and also one of the innovators of West Coast rap. We're going back to Ice-T's Killers. Came out in 85. In my opinion, Original Gangster is the best Ice-T album. He got really serious. It was kind of less about partying. And uh, New Jack Hustler, of course, phenomenal song. And, of course, the title track, OG, Original Gangster. Now, one of the guys that Ice-T claimed to take a lot of inspiration from was an East Coast guy named Schooly D. He's number seven on your list. We're going with PSK. What does it mean? Well, it stands for Parkside Killers. And so this was kind of like the infancy of gangster rap. You know, a lot of people in the beginning of rap, it was all a party, right? Everything they rapped about was about parties. Ice-T, Schooly D, they really kind of paved the way for what became NWA and Public Enemy and bands that were a little more socially conscious because they began to, to rap and bring real issues that were happening in the inner cities in the African-American community to the airwaves. And because of the fact that rap was really catching on with MTV, it opened the eyes of a lot of people like me. I mean, you live in small-town Mississippi, and it's like, oh, you think these things aren't real, or they're just uh, you know, imagined or dramatized in movies and TV shows uh, to uh, kind of exaggerate the differences between your protagonist and your antagonist. And then you began to realize that a lot of these people were, in many respects, disenfranchised and discounted by society. And so... It was very important, and while you may not be a rap fan, I think it's important to understand the voices of the 80s. It really kind of opened up our eyes to the problems in our inner cities. I think that was an important step. All right, number six. One of the innovators, one of the first true MCs is Curtis Blow. We're going to go with If I Ruled the World. And again, there's not a lot fancy with this one. And, uh, you know, Curtis is a guy that was kind of around in the infancy of the genre. didn't really last as the game began to innovate like Ice-T and some others did, too short. But uh, for a while, Curtis Blow was the guy. Number six, and I don't know that there was a bigger song at the time. I ranked some other songs ahead of it. But uh, this is a song that got played on Top 40 Radio, and it's the Boogie Boys' Fly Girl. There also was a band called Climax out at the time, they had a song called Let's Go All The Way. And so a lot of DJs would kind of mix and match back and forth. But uh, the original beat, of course, is Fly Girl. 
Amazing. Amazing song. Number four, I would be remiss with a top 10 mid-80s rap list if we didn't include the Fat Boys. I remember in the movie Boomerang, Chris Rock said that. You know, when um, Eddie Murphy's character, I guess it was Marcus, he decided to quit dating and settle down with one woman. And Chris Rock is like, you know, first the Fat Boys break up and now this. It's like there's nothing to believe in anymore. Fat Boys were a bit of a novelty act. They also had some talent. But uh, Fat Boys Are Back, that's your number four song. Fat Boys Are Back. And again, the beats back then, as hard driving as many of them were, they had not really refined the sound yet. And you kind of can hear some of that uh, in the Fat Boys albums. It got a little bit better later in the 80s. Number three, probably my first favorite rap group, to be quite honest with you. I remember remember being in, in middle school, and hearing the song Hard Times for the very first time from Run DMC. And like all of a sudden, I thought, maybe I should give this rap stuff a try. Run DMC was kind of my introduction into rap music that I liked. And there was a lot of stuff early on that uh, just did, I didn't really identify with. But Run DMC, to me, it wasn't just the image. And it wasn't just the fact that uh, there were alternating voices they just appeared to be given a different message. It wasn't quite so silly. A lot of the stuff in the beginning was had a you know a little bit sophomoric at times. Run DMC was the real deal for me, and so we're going to go with King of Rock. Great, great song. Even to this day, that song gets played on the radio. All right, number two. I remember the very first time that I saw this gentleman perform. It's an American Bandstand. It's Ladies Love Cool James. Or as the kids say, LL Cool J. Another guy that kind of followed in the uh, steps of Ice-T. They had some beef back in the day on I'm Your Pusher, Ice-T kind of uh, guts, LL Cool J. They buried the hatchet years later. But there was a lot of beef in rap music back then that made it kind of interesting. And it sold records. Like, oh, well, Cool J said this about Ice-T. Well, then you had to go buy Ice-T's tape because we had tapes and cassettes back then, to find out, well, what, did he, what was his response? And so it was back and forth. It wasn't like nowadays where somebody just fires off a tweet. They'd go get in the studio. And so LL Cool J was a phenomenon. Broke onto the scene as a teenager. And uh, a lot of people would have gone with Rock the Bells. I'm going back to the beginning. It's I can't live without my radio. Probably uh, a big part of my life, too. I can't live without the radio. LL Cool J, a phenomenal performer even back then. And uh, that Walking with a Panther album was one that, uh, for me, kind of goes down as one of the best rap albums of all time. Love that album. But number one, and I don't know that anybody could disagree. There are a lot of times I get on here and I give you a top ten list and I say, well, you know, you can make a case for this one. I don't know that anybody could truly argue against this. This is one of the best rap songs of all time, not just from the 80s, or from 1985, it's Dougie Fresh's The Show. It was in New Jack City. It's everywhere. I, I saw it one time. I'd read an article some time ago uh, that, that, that it had been licensed in over 100 movies. I mean, think about that for a second. The Dougie Fresh's The Show has been in that many movies. It's crazy. And one of the things that I'll tell you guys, too, about Dougie Fresh is um, I don't know that maybe mainstream America today gives Dougie Fresh the respect. Now, people, of course, that longtime rap fans do, they understand. Dougie Fresh brought a little bit of a dance element to things. It's a different deal entirely. 
But what, what basically began to evolve from this, and uh, quite honestly, I think there was a lot of exploitation of the record companies of rap artists. A ton of it. And you can go back. A lot of it's documented now. They got these terrible deals because people thought, hey, well, this, you know, the kids are buying this stuff, but it's not going to last. And so they would make these terrible deals and people would have to get on the road and they'd have to tour just to survive. But everybody was okay with DJ mixing. Everybody was great with it. No big deal. Because people basically would still beats. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is. But in the infancy of all this, people said, hey, that's good marketing, right? Because he's using our song. Well, then all of a sudden, when rap became a real force, and all of a sudden there was some money to be made, well, then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. And of course, the sampling got better. I remember, and in in, in we were, uh, we had a Prophet 2000 keyboard. It was a really noisy sampler. And then all of a sudden, you know, you started getting the D9 keyboards and things like that. Uh, Yamaha, of course, caught up. Roland, of course, had a really clean sampler. And so then all of a sudden, people are, are lifting, instead of just replicating or scratching on a turntable, they're lifting the actual baseline, right? And so things change a little bit. But I would venture to say nobody would have cared if these rap artists weren't making money. And so, of course, you had the Rick James MC Hammer deal with uh, You Can't Touch This using the baseline lifted directly from Super Freak. So they had to come up with the packaging and licensing deal there. Ice Ice Baby, of course, pulled the baseline from Under Pressure, uh, Queen and David Bowie song. There was a ton of it, a ton of it. And one of the coolest things, a little rap history here for you too, is uh, Two Live Crew didn't make our list today. Um, and Two Live Crew, one, one of, whether you like rap or not, some of the work that they did and the things that they endured in the late 80s, early 90s changed music forever. Whether you think they're obscene, whether you think that they're grotesque, the things that they did in relation to the First Amendment and about freedom of expression, the, the court cases that they fought and eventually won are very important. And so because of all this sampling stuff that was going on, Luke Skywalker and the guys didn't want to get in further legal trouble. And so they wanted to do a song called Banned in the USA. And Bruce Springsteen, because he's a First Amendment activist, donated the rights to the song told them they could use the song royalty free and so they wrote band in the usa and and it was an important song because it really brought to light really in many respects you know, kind of the disrespect that was kind of happening and there was an abuse of our legal system to silence people that we didn't agree with and that's not healthy for anybody it's not and so again whether you're not I, I'm an old school rap guy. I don't really like a lot of the new stuff. And a lot of this mumble rap stuff drives me crazy. But to deny the fact that rap has not been a dramatic change, not just in music, but in American culture, is to be short-sighted. It absolutely is. And not just in fashion or in popular culture. With the First Amendment, and not to mention there were so many people they got absolutely ripped off. They were exceptionally talented. And uh, many of them are having to go back and tour today, you know, just because of the fact and go play in the half-filled arenas and things like that just to pay the rent because these record deals were so bad because people were taken advantage of. These fat cat record executives took advantage of these uh, young African-American people that were just trying to get their music heard. And so they didn't get deals that were commiserate to their peers and other genres. And so I think it's important to always remember that. 
Always. And it happened with the blues music. It happened with rap music, I'm sure, in some respects. It still happened today. But we want to pay a little homage to the pioneers of rap and the MCs of the mid-'80s. And so this, again, this is Roy's idea, but uh, tip of the cap. It was fun doing this list. I haven't listened to a lot of these tracks in a long time, and so I'm happy to share them with you. And so uh, if you're a new buck that likes rap, you know, these are the guys that you can thank for what you enjoy today because they were the pioneers for what this genre has become. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. The best way to find us is on social media. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Roy is at Dogmatic, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, on Twitter and on Spotify. You can find our great list there. We had a really good run on our uh, new music list. I put out top 10 new bands, that you should know. Didn't make our top 20, or top 10, excuse me, but one of the biggest lists we've had in a while. I mean, nowadays, we've got to have like 20,000 listens or 20,000 impressions in order to make uh, the top 10. You guys have... Uh, have pushed those numbers that are almost unsurmountable, right? But that was the biggest one we've had in a while. And I've had a lot of feedback from people that say, hey, Steve, I was jamming this thing. I loved all these new bands. Now, I'll tell you, one of the bands that I've told you about them, they were number one, Sleep Theory song. Another way, new single for them dropped on Friday, a song called Numb. No relation to the Linkin Park song. Uh, it's a little bit louder, a little more aggressive than Another Way. Another Way is kind of a power ballad. But um, I shared that with the homie Fred. Uh, Fred Harley, of course, the lead singer from Storage 24. I went and saw them at Martin's Saturday night, had a chance to introduce the band. It was my honor to do so. I appreciate Fred asking me to do that. And uh, we had a good time. And so if you have it, our number 10 song on that list was Anger Management from Storage 24. Those two songs, I would encourage you, go download them and listen to them today. And maybe go look up Storage 24 on YouTube. I think you'll be glad you did. And, and of course, Fred's a Mississippi State Bulldog. And so we need to take care of our own. And so next time that Storage 24 is playing, and it's in a reasonable driving distance, I'm going to be there, and I hope to meet some of you guys there too. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Be sure and check them out when you're in town. I, I frequent that place regularly. When I need Mississippi State merchandise, I drive over there and I get it. I get great service, great merchandise at a great price. I think we have all of the available Mississippi State jerseys somewhere in this house in a variety of sizes. Maybe you do too. And if not, complete your collection uh, by going by and checking out their fine selection of Mississippi State merchandise. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks, any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. So whether you're outfitting your family, your home, your office, your pet, whatever, they've got all kinds of things with the Mississippi State logos on them. You'll be glad you did. Make Campus Bookmart your one-stop shop for Mississippi State merchandise. All right, let's look around the league. A very eventful weekend, to say the least. Uh, because we had the uh, ball game on, <laughs> uh, we had the weekend off, Sunday off, excuse me. I watched Arkansas and Alabama, trying to get a preview of Alabama, kind of looking at them. And on Wednesday's show, we'll give you a detailed preview. Uh, competitive weekend for sure. Vanderbilt sweeps over the weekend. They're the lone undefeated team in league play. Um, 
at 9-0. and And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that Vanderbilt is not a better team than what I expected. Certainly in contention now for a top eight. They sweep Georgia. These games were not competitive. 9-2, 16-8, I expected Georgia to struggle offensively, and pitching just simply hasn't been enough for them. They've hit some home runs, but it's kind of feast or famine with them. Of course, South Carolina takes two of three from Mississippi State. They're now 8-1 in the conference and 26-3 and overall. Kentucky. Kentucky. I'm still beating the drum for these guys. I like this team. They're now tied for second in the SEC East. The only team ahead of them is Vanderbilt. They're tied with South Carolina. But these guys are in contention to host. You said, but Steve, but Steve, but Steve, the record's coming. It's going to be tough. And we've had this discussion on jeanspage.com message boards that they still have LSU. They still have Vanderbilt. They still have Tennessee. still got Florida. You know, what they have to do is avoid getting swept in those series. Because they got to go to Georgia, which they should be able to win a series at Georgia. They have South Carolina coming to them, and after seeing Kentucky and South Carolina both play in person, I think Kentucky's a better team. And then Kentucky gets A&M. So you feel like, hey, Kentucky's got a reasonable chance to get those three. Well, that gives you at least six more wins, which makes them 14. We'll give them 14 wins in the conference. That'll get them in. You figure anybody right around 500 in this league is going to get in. And let's say they avoid getting swept in those other series. Well, that's four more wins. All of a sudden, that's 18 wins. Now, do I think they get to 18? Probably not. But 16, 17 wins, you're definitely in and perhaps in the hosting conversation. Florida, 7-2. Uh, Florida this weekend, you know, against, again, Kentucky swept Missouri. Uh, Florida's pitching is outstanding. And offensively, they've got some guys in the order that can hurt you. This past weekend was a good one for them. They take two of three. They lose the Friday night game 10-1. to And then the next two games are 12-5, 17-8. So Auburn pitching, getting beat up pretty good bit in that ball game. And that's kind of their calling card, right? Tennessee goes to LSU. They lose two out of three. Tennessee now 4-5 and five in the conference. Did you have that at the beginning of the year? I didn't. And, of course, that loud sweep at the beginning of the year against Missouri, in many respects, has put Tennessee out of the race for the SEC East and potentially the SEC Championship, a team that many people had high hopes for, a team that was the number one team in the tournament last week, last year. But 4-5, and five, and they still have some, some series ahead of them that are going to be a little bit dicey. You know as well as I do, Tennessee is going to be able to score. And uh, with Dylander going on Friday nights, they should be in a position to win most of their series. But uh, competitive games down there, they, they take a late lead over LSU 2-1 on Friday and lose 5-2, then lose 6-4, and then win on Saturday 14-7. They will be at Florida this week. Then they go to Arkansas. So those are a couple different – Difficult series there. Do you expect Tennessee to sweep both of those series? I don't. And so all of a sudden you look up and say, okay, even if they win those, that's two more losses. Then they head to Vanderbilt or they host Vanderbilt. And so let's say you, you, know, you go two and three there, two and one there. Now all of a sudden you start beginning to think here, 
you know, Tennessee is in a situation here where they're probably going to host, but they could probably play their way out of a top eight national seed. Then we visit up there, they go to Georgia, they get Kentucky, and then it's South Carolina. So uh, a lot of teams, they're playing for something big, remaining on the schedule for Tennessee. I think I think 10 losses is probably a certainty. 20 and 10, uh, you're hosting easily. I mean, goodness, if you're 20 and 10, you're, uh, you're chasing a pretty good seed in the tournament. I mean, in, in some years, 20 wins gets you an SEC championship. But when you look at this, the fact that they're 4-5 and five right now, I think 10 losses is a certainty. Probably more than that when it's all said and done. Missouri, of course, 3-6 and six now. Their, their long three wins came against Tennessee. They ambushed Tennessee, have not won an SEC game since then. That's going to be an interesting uh, weekend coming up for, uh, for the Tigers. When, when you start looking at the fact that uh, you know, Kentucky kind of did what they wanted to, 10, two 10-run rule games on uh, Friday and Saturday, and then a competitive game on Sunday, 3-1 in Lexington. So Missouri scores just three runs against Kentucky pitching. They had them at Vanderbilt this weekend, then the A&M. They host Vandy, then they travel to A&M. They host Alabama. They go to Florida. Then it's Ole Miss, Georgia, and Auburn. So you look down the stretch and say, you know what, they could pr- probably be spoilers. But I think at this point, there's a good chance they finish last in the East even though they have a two-game lead over Georgia. I think with Georgia's pitching, they'll find a way to win a couple games here and there, perhaps that they're not expected to. But uh, offensively, Georgia's got to get some things figured out. Georgia, of course, uh, will host Kentucky this weekend, red-hot Kentucky. And uh, we'll preview these series later in the week, of course. But um, you start running this stuff down, and you begin to realize, you know, this is a very unforgiving league. And for a team like Georgia, it's one in eight, and they still haven't really played the top half of their conference, with the exception of Vanderbilt. It could get rough. You lose this weekend to Kentucky, as I expect, and you go to Florida, then you get Arkansas, then you go to Ole Miss, then you get Tennessee, and then, then you get Missouri and then LSU. It could be a really difficult year at Georgia. I think, I think it's safe to say, at this point, they're probably chasing Missouri to try to get into the SEC tournament. What would that mean for Scott Strickland? I don't know. You look at the West. The West has not been quite what many people expected, and some of that's because we've kind of beaten each other up. But we've also played, like Mississippi State has played, you know, the top three teams in the SEC East. And you say, but yeah, Steve, but, you know, the benefit of that is, is, hey, they played Mississippi State. Well, that's true too, but when you start adding the numbers up here, my goodness, man, they're 26-1 and one against the rest of the conference. Excuse me. I guess you backed it out a little bit there. But uh, Vanderbilt would be 6-0 and oh against the rest of the conference. Vanderbilt, I mean, South Carolina would be 5-1 and one against the rest of the conference. Or, or excuse me, 6-1 and one, or 6-0. and oh. If I can never get that out. 6-0 and oh against the rest of the conference. And then Kentucky 5-1. and one. So between those three teams, they have one loss in the conference outside of Mississippi State. LSU, of course, now 6-3. and three. They lose the game to A&M. They're dropping one a weekend. There is a little bit of, um, of a chink in the armor, I guess you could say, or kink in the armor. What's the, I don't know what the politically correct way to say it is, but you wonder a little bit about LSU in a Super Regional. What happens in a Super Regional when they get into a winner-take-all game three? 
Well, chances are they'd be hosting at Alex Box. So you like that. But I think that there are probably some things with LSU, even though they're 24-4, and four, you look at it and you begin to think, this is a team that still, with all they've accomplished as the number one team, they've got to find a way to get some clean weekends. Arkansas wins the weekend over, uh, Arkansas, over Alabama two games to one. Alabama could have taken that series. And with a couple of swings here and there, they could have swept the series. And so give Arkansas arguably one of the toughest places to play in this conference, not all of college baseball. Alabama went up there and gave them trouble. I said at the beginning of the season I wasn't a believer in Alabama. I'm still not. And this will this will be a hot take, and I know I'm sure I'm sure I'll hear about it. Mississippi State is capable of going to Alabama to win that series. Auburn now three and six. AM three and six. Uh, A&M takes the series from Ole Miss. They walk it off on Sunday, a ninth inning solo home run to open the game to win 5-4. Then Ole Miss now 1-8. Ole Miss does get the uh, Saturday night win, to win, their first conference win uh, of the year, much like Mississippi State, which makes Super Bulldog weekend all the more important. The winner of that series may make Hoover and the other one may not. But all of a sudden you look up here and say, hey, you know, State's 1-8. Guys, this is so crazy to think about. We're two games out of third in the West. Now, that's not going to be enough to get you to the NCAA tournament. But what it does tell me is that some of these teams in the West can be had. Alabama, Auburn, A&M, Ole Miss, you don't think State can get a game or two from them? I submit to you they can. And so there are some winnable games out there. We just got to find a way to go do it. And I think in you know, one of our final segments of the show, we're going to talk about some of the things that probably need to happen. But uh, let's look at our schedule. A lot of baseball coming up here. And so, no games tonight, obviously. Tuesday, Georgia will be at Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State, of course, uh, kind of a Cinderella team last year in the tournament with uh, Josh Hatcher. Josh, of course, has moved on. Love Josh to death, man. Wish him the absolute best. But Kennesaw State in a midweek game against a struggling Georgia team. I don't know if the Bulldogs can be excited or happy about that. But then Cookman will be at Florida. Dayton is at Kentucky. Troy is at Alabama. Western Kentucky is at Vanderbilt. Ole Miss is at Memphis. Grambling, of course, at Mississippi State. Auburn's at UAB. Arkansas State is at Arkansas. Texas State's at A&M. South Carolina at North Carolina. That's a barn burner of a midweek non-conference game right there. That'll be fun to watch. That's on the SEC Network+. Plus. And that game um, will air the same time we are. So maybe you can flip back and forth. And then Nickel State is at LSU. And so outside of that South Carolina-North Carolina game, you look at that, you feel like the conference should be in good shape tomorrow night. And again, that Georgia-Kennesaw State game could be a sneaky good game there. That's on the ESPN Plus app. Um, but everybody else is on the SEC Network Plus app, I think with the exception of, uh, of, Mem- of Memphis and Ole Miss. Not sure what they're going to do with Auburn, UAB, and Arkansas State or Arkansas. Certainly they'll be streaming somewhere. So uh, busy, busy night on Tuesday. And, of course, this week uh, everybody has the Thursday, Friday, Saturday schedule. So I guess on Wednesday we'll preview the weekend. And um, just real quickly here, Vanderbilt's in Missouri. LSU is at South Carolina. State is at Alabama. Arkansas is at Ole Miss. Florida is at Tennessee. And then Texas A&M is at Auburn. So – a lot of Thursday night baseball, uh, to say the least. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's, you know, it's in relation to Easter, right? 
So Kentucky, of course, to Georgia. So uh, we'll have some baseball to watch. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that uh, there is still some room to move, but Mississippi State has to figure out who Mississippi State is and who we want to be. It's just not, it's not, a, it's not one, you know, obviously when you have, you know, 14 teams beating each other up, you know, the records are not going to be impressive, but uh, they're just a handful of teams that are kind of running away with this and everybody else is kind of muddied right there. There's a glut of teams, you know, right there with three and six records. And uh, as, as we stand here today, there's what, one, two, three, four, five, there's only six teams in the conference with a winning conference record. And you look up and you even Tennessee's four and five. They'll get it going. But my point being is that could State catch Missouri? Yes. Could State surpass Georgia? Yes. Could State surpass Ole Miss? Yes. Could they catch A&M Auburn? Yes. Alabama? Yes. Will they? Who knows? I submit to you right now, Ole Miss is playing better baseball than Mississippi State. I mean, you even look at last weekend, you know, uh, I didn't – I picked A&M in a series, and I think in the end everybody we picked were victorious. You know, Ole Miss has not done enough to show that they can win a series on the weekend, much like Mississippi State. But they hung in there and did a good job against A&M. They lose 8-6. to six. They win 14-7, lose 5-4. So all those games are competitive, ex- with the exception of the game the Rebels won. And uh, so it's important to understand, you know, yes, we get them at home, and yes, we have owned that series, and yes, we'll probably have a mental advantage. But Ole Miss, even though they have the same record as us in the conference and right there with us, same number of wins, and uh, had they been able to play those games out against uh, Louisiana Tech and Southern, they're probably sitting right there with us at 16 and 13. So it's going to be awfully interesting Super Bulldog weekend. We need you to be here. Bulldogs going to need you. It's going to be your first look at the Kevin Barbe offense as well. So plan on being here next weekend. And if you can, get out there on the road and uh, go support the Bulldogs this weekend against Alabama. Even with our our, our record, uh, I submit to you, we could still go over there and uh, take over that field and make it feel like an MSU home game. And, I, again, tip of the cap to our Bulldog fans, we had, what, 12,000 and some change on Saturday at the ball game. A lot of people were fired up after the Friday night win and came out hoping to – Push state on to a win of a series and for a while like we might pull it off so tip of the cap to our fans it's one thing i'll say there's so many times people are like get upset with our fans guys our fans are turning out to watch a team that has found incredibly excruciating ways to lose and so this has got nothing to do with our fans our fan support even for a team that is struggling has been tremendous and thank you for that all right final segment of the show brought to you by portico Our friend Brooks Bryan was on campus signing autographs this weekend as the 98 College World Series team was brought back to campus for the 25-year reunion. Had a lot of the Bulldogs here. Not everybody, but a lot of them. Jeremy Jackson was among them, among that group. Uh, Richard Lee, John Knight. We had a lot of guys here. Took pictures and uh, signed autographs. And thank you guys so much for your contributions to Mississippi State Baseball and then coming back home uh, and to and allowing us the opportunity to celebrate you. So, Brooks, thank you for that. And Brooks is here all the time. So, uh, I know Brooks is happy to have his guys back. But um, Brooks is part of a great group of developers that are bringing this wonderful residential complex to Starkville Portico. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stop. Right there on the right is Portico. 
You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. You can have an office built, maybe if you need like a man cave or a woman cave or whatever, or just a person cave, whatever you want, they can accommodate you. You can call it whatever you want. You just give them the specifics, they can build it for you. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two's under development now. Many of those homes are sold, but there are some available. There's also some lots available where you can pick out your house plan and have a say in how your new home is built. Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, I wrote about this this morning. You know, I'm a guy that likes to tinker. You know, baseball people like to tinker. You find what works, you ride it for a while, then it doesn't work, and you tinker, right? And so I was a big advocate of moving Nate Dome to the weekend because, number one, I felt, hey, Nate is our most competitive pitcher, 35 Ks against eight walks this year. And walks have been a big issue for us. And it's like, hey, you know what, at times Nate's going to get hit, but more times than not, Nate's going to win. Nate's 3-3 and on the year, and some of that's been, you know, didn't have a good outing against Vanderbilt the first time he's faced uh, SEC hitters as a starter. But now that Cade Smith is rounding back into form, I think that brings up an interesting dilemma. Do you keep Nate as a starter? Because the problem that we had, we said, you know what, hey, if we save Nate to when we have a lead, he may never throw. Well, how important would Nate have been to us Thursday night, late in that ballgame? And Colby Holcomb was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. And no way am I being critical of Colby. And Colby didn't get a call, and we ended up giving a tank. And we didn't score enough runs. We got a bunch of hits, didn't score enough runs. But how important would Nate have been Saturday? You know, State's got a 5-4 lead. And you're thinking, okay, or excuse me, has a 4-3 lead. And you can trot Nate out there and try to get the last nine outs. Now, that wasn't successful at Kentucky, but some of that, too, has got to do with one pitch. We're about to get out of there with a save situation and win a ball game. But how many times have we tried somebody out there late trying to hold a lead and we weren't able to do it? And so I, so I got to thinking, well, where can Nate best help the team? Now, he's agreeable to whatever. Nate's a guy that's like, hey, I'm a team guy. Just give me the ball. Uh, I'll go close for you. I can be middle relief for you. And so – I think in some ways you're almost losing like using like Kevin Copps from Arkansas. I think you have to. I think you need him. You got to put him in a position where he can help you. And so I think if Cade, and hopefully it's this weekend, but maybe it's not, you know, Cade comes back and can get his stamina back up. I, I think you take Nate off the weekend and make him your first guy of the bullpen. That makes sense to me. And, and of course, if he only goes a couple innings on Friday, maybe you can bring him back on Sunday. And then he has a chance to win you two games, and provided his pitch count doesn't get run up in his first appearance. And so this is the thing that we, you know, we we have not had Pico, and we're not going to have Pico this year. We haven't had Parker, and Parker's a guy that's been very up and down throughout his career. Uh, Nixon is a guy that was outstanding a year ago at Texas, or two years ago at Texas. Last year he was kind of up and down, and he's been hurt this year. And there was a time that people feared he may be lost for the year, uh, but you know he's rounding back into form, and so. I don't know at this point you can count on him to be the closer until we get this hit-by-pitch thing resolved. But if you begin to think about how we strung it together, and I thought we managed pitching exceptionally well for uh, up until the very end of that game on Sunday. When you look at how things went on Friday, you only used two pitchers, and Colby Holcomb I thought really grew up a lot in that ball game. did a great job for us. 
And, uh, yeah, he was pitching on fumes late. He was. But he wanted the baseball. And I want guys that want the baseball. And, again, we should have won the game. We did. We didn't score enough runs. But pitching was there. And then on Saturday, of course, you know, Gart comes out there and gives you the best start of his career. And uh, I thought, actually, he was a really good matchup because of the fact that uh, with that changeup and the fact that he can locate three pitches for strikes and keep people off his fastball with a free-swinging launch angle team like South Carolina, he was good. Had a little trouble early, but then he settles in, kind of figures out how they're attacking him, and he shuts him down. And then what do you do? You know, you go out there and you bring in Kate Smith, and, you know, he's nearly perfect for two innings. And so all of a sudden you get into Sunday and you've got all your arms available, with rare exception. And then Nate goes out there and gets you into the sixth, and you start thinking, okay, well, if Nate can get us into the sixth and we can get two innings out of KC, then that gets us to Nixon. Well, we, we did that. The problem was is that you know, KC and Nixon both proved to be ineffective. And so the best laid plans of mice and men, you know the rest, right? But we managed it pretty well. And But when the game got away from us and then we just had to keep changing and you bring in Einstein, you bring in Stinnett, you know, at that point you've run out of bullets in the gun at this point. And again, Parker, to be fair to Parker, it's his first live action since the opening weekend period. And maybe he's the guy that eats up innings for you in a midweek. I, I don't know. And saves Sierra and some other guys and Tapper for the weekend. But you need a big gun. And I think that's Nate. You need that guy, that shutdown guy, because if we had had Nate yesterday, it's not a 14 to five ball game. You know, of course, you know, one of the reasons you're in the game is because of the start that Nate gave you. But if Cade Smith can replicate that, you remember he was really good last year on Sundays. We wanted to move him to Fridays this year. You know, maybe you put him back on Sunday. Or maybe you throw Bradley Lofton. Of course, we were expecting Lofton, you know, and Chris Lamona set on Tuesday or Monday that we expected to have uh, Lofton for the weekend. We didn't. And so now all of a sudden you're moving Lofton down there. Maybe he's a middle relief guy. Then all of a sudden you have Nate as a guy that could potentially be your closer. And then when Nixon gets caught up, all of a sudden you've got two guys on the back end. And again, my concern is it's going to be too little too late. But I think when you begin to manage all of this, you know, you've had some quality starts as of late. You didn't have quality starts against Vanderbilt. Last week, I thought starting pitching was good. It was the bullpen that failed us. And so how do we shore up the bullpen? Well, you can't go out and sign a free agent, but you could put Nate back there probably where he belongs. And again, Nate will pitch whenever you want. But if Cade Smith can go out there and get you four or five innings – then all of a sudden you think maybe pairing him up with Nate Dome. Or, again, I, I still like the whole Landon Gartman, Nate Dome thing too, just because one of the things that concerns me is we're not given enough different looks, right? So if I go out there with the right-hander, let, let's say I throw Cade Smith for five innings, and then I come back with another right-hander with a similar build throwing in the same arm slot, it's the same look. It's just a different jersey number, right? And so you've got to be able to change some things up there. Uh, and so I think that's what the Gart Dome marriage does. And I'm not saying, you know, of course, if you need Nate on Friday, you got to throw him, right? But Nate is different. He is a different animal. He has different stuff. There are a lot of guys on our staff that are similar. And that's one of the things that I give uh, South Carolina some credit for. They had guys that had different methods of delivery. You know, Veach, of course, is a guy that specializes in throwing a change. You know, I thought Hicks is a guy that comes out with a you know, power fastball, got a good slider. Uh, they got another kid they brought out there, kind of short arms, that are really deceptive. Another guy with a three-quarter delivery. 
And so you get different looks from their pitchers. And sometimes it takes one time through the order to kind of figure it out, just like it did yesterday or Saturday, excuse me. You know, you had to kind of figure out how to get on that sinker. And it's one thing to see it on film and talk about it in scouting reports, but until you see it in live action, you don't really know. And once you've seen it, you can adjust, which is one of the reasons Gartman has been so dicey the third time through the order. Once you've seen it, you can adjust. But we got to do more to change our looks. And I think some of that, of course, you get two, two or three trips through the order with Gart that has you on your front foot, and then all of a sudden Nate's out there throwing 97-98. You're rarely ever going to see a change for him, and when you do, it's completely different than what Gartman throws. The next thing you know, you get through that order, and by the time it's for them to adjust, the game is over. And so I'm a proponent at this point if Cade Smith is ready to go. And I don't know that he is. I know he looked good in the two innings, but maybe they're not ready to push him back out there on a weekend. But we need him, right? We need him. We don't want to rush him back, but we need an available arm on the weekend that knows how to get SEC hitters out. And Cade's a guy that's a competitor. And so maybe Kay can go out there and get you four or five, and then, that, then then we'll go from there. But I don't know that it could have set up any better for us when you get into Sunday. I mean, honestly, the fact that you go into Sunday and you've only used four arms, you ought to be able to find a way to piece it together, and we weren't. We weren't able to do it. And, again, it goes back to we can talk about Einzema and Sinet, but when you sat down that morning and said, okay, here's our plan, we'll get six from Nate – Two from KC and one from Nixon. Well, you, you got nearly six from Nate, and then KC, of course, uh, ends up getting tagged with the loss, and then you know Nixon couldn't get guys, and then you have to you have to kind of resort to whoever's left. And so the plan itself was good, but we've got to go out there and execute on the mound. And so again, the thing that I ask myself is is where does Nate bring the most value to this team? Well, if you announce him as a starter, you know then all of a sudden you can't really move him around. But if, uh, if he can get through, you know, a short stint on Friday, then he can help you win two games on the weekend rather than one. Because Nate is our best pitcher right now. I don't think there's any question about that. And, of course, he's a transfer that comes in from Ball State. He had some control issues late in the year last year. Uh, we talk about the developmental piece. He, obviously, he's more mature and more experienced, uh, but he's doing a good job this year. I just think we've got to find the right role for him. Because he's a guy, too, that's like he's not draft eligible, so he's going to be here next year anyway. And so he's going to do whatever he needs to to help this team. And so I think you sit him down and say, okay, Nate, here's what we're thinking. And Nate's going to be like, okay, coach, whatever you want. Because Nate wants to win. Nate's not, oh, well, no, I'm worried about my draft status. i got to start. You know, maybe Nate's a starter next year. Because, again, you know, you got to have a three-pitch mix. The fastball is great. The slider plays well off a dominant fastball. But you got to be able to spot that change up occasionally. And uh, he throws it some, but uh, you, you, and if you're going to be a starter, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to, to work through the zone. In order to get through the lineup a third time, you've got to have a third pitch. And that's an important aspect of this. So just some food for thought there. So if Nate doesn't start this weekend, it's not because Nate's done anything wrong. It's not because Nate didn't give you a quality start. It may just be a situation where we're putting him in the best situation for us to be successful as a team. I think he's going to be successful no matter where we put him. Of course, you know, he got beat up a little bit by Vanderbilt. But by and large, Nate's been a guy we've always been able to count on. From the very moment he stepped on campus, he has thrown strikes. He has been the most consistent strike thrower on this staff. 
And so now you've got to figure out where does he help you. And as uh, one of our guys on the message board said, uh, you got to get 27 outs to win a ball game. So you put him where he can get the most outs, whether that be a closer or a middle reliever or a starter. But I think the fact that Cade Smith is back and is trending in the right direction, that gives you some options for Nate. You don't have to rush the situation, but here's the deal. We've got to have a sense of urgency with all of this. You know, what happens if we go 3-1 and one this week? Does your perception of the team change? Well, maybe you feel like, hey, we're heading in the right direction. We won an SEC game last week. We went 2-2 two and two on the week. Well, now we're 3-1 and one and we won a series. And chances are you're off. <laughs> you're off the bottom. And then you've got an Ole Miss team that's uh, they struggle too coming to your place next week. Well, now all of a sudden you win that series and you've got five SEC wins. And you start looking at this thing and say, okay, now we, we're kind of playing for positioning in Hoover. we got to keep playing. But then we're trending in the right direction. And so I, I think you, because of the fact that you do have some winnable games ahead of you, you've got to make the move now. You've got to make some things happen now. You've got to settle your roles on the pitching staff. And, of course, it's been very difficult to do that with so many guys in and out of the order. And you've had to move, you know, kind of Nate around a little bit and ask him to do some things that uh, maybe he's not as comfortable with, but he's willing to do because he's a team first guy. But I think it's important that we find the role for him and set that first, and then everything else kind of settles around him. Does that make sense? I think with Colby Holcomb kind of emerging as a guy, too, that we can count on, you know, again, I think some things are coming together, but not enough of them. And I think Nate, by adding Cade Smith back to the weekend, I think Nate could alleviate some of those concerns as you get deeper into your bullpen. All right, if you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get all my sports books there. And uh, if you're ordering Stark Villains, chances are – uh, you're not going to get it. There's only a couple left, I guess. And then Alpha Dogs is not far behind. Uh, every Stark Villains, all the cases are gone. The warehouse is empty. There's just a couple sitting on a desk. So if you haven't bought that book, you need to do it. And uh, you can order it direct from uh, our website, dogpilethebook.com. All of my sports books are there. Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Dogpile, Stark Villains. And then Blooms of Oleander, of course, available through... Uh, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, Amazon.com, or through your local bookstore. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And if you're not a member of our thriving community at JeansPage.com, what are you doing? You should be a member. That's a great gift, too. That's a great gift, maybe for Father's Day. Maybe your dad's a big Bulldog fan, and he likes discussing state sports. So rather than have him on the Facebook groups arguing with people, perhaps, who have no clue what they're talking about, then come over with the most knowledgeable Bulldog fans on the Internet at JeansPage. Com. And you can interact with our experts there. Uh, you'll be glad you did. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Wednesday. And, again, we'll go ahead and preview the weekend. And then Friday, of course, we'll be wrapping up um, yeah, a couple ball games. And, uh, again, I think it's going to be a good week for State. I, I do. I think it's going to be a good week for State. But we're going to have to play baseball. And we're going to have to settle these roles in the bullpen. That gets an important aspect. Probably the most important part of this is settling the bullpen down. Finding a way to bridge the gap from the starter to the final. That's, that has been difficult for us uh, the last two seasons. So we're going to have to figure it out. And, of course, I think you've got a relief ace in Nate Dome that gives you some flexibility. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.